Welcome to the Nifty Podcast, presented by Party Fish Media, a showcase of the best emerging filmmakers under the age of 25 from all over the world. Film starts here at the virtual Nifty 2020 from Seattle, Washington. My name is Kevin Connor, and I'm one of the senior programmers for this year's festival. And today we've got a good one. On the other line, we have Hector Bell, director, writer, and producer for a film called Coming to Light, which played in the Saturday night short screening at this year's festival, in addition to being a programmer staff pick. Hector, thanks for taking the time today. How, how are you doing? Yeah, doing really good. Thank you. Really excited to be involved. This is it's a really cool festival. Excellent. Well, we're really excited to have you here with us. Um, just to kind of start off, could you give a little context about what Coming to Light is for anyone listening who may not have had a chance to kind of see it yet? Um, yeah, so Coming to Light was actually my uh, like my graduation film from film school. Um, and it's about Aaron, who's a guy in his young 20s who was a victim of uh, sexual abuse as a child. Um, and... So basically, he's followed around by the physical manifestation of his trauma, which is this huge, like, 10-foot monster that follows him everywhere. And it's a 10-minute short where, basically, he is um, put in a position where he has to sort of confront this trauma and face up to it. I, I hope a, a good place to dive right in off the bat is is with the monster. You know, this, like you said, yeah. embodiment of trauma, manifestation. Um while coming to light has all the aspects of like a horror thriller about personified fears, you know, that unnerving yeah. sound design, that very tactile um, monster yeah, production. Yeah. Uh, for me, the film kind of has a different relationship with the monster than audiences might expect. How would you describe that relationship between Aaron and the monster? And, and what was important about framing the relationship in that way? Um, so I suppose... Initially, when I, when I was like writing, it, the intention wasn't to make it a kind of a horror. It just sort of was about this idea of living with trauma. So I wanted it to be that the monster kind of is, obviously he's afraid of it and he can't face up to it. But then I think there's this idea that what happened to him was so long ago that um, he's learned to live with it. So instead of being terrified and constantly in fear, he kind of like coexists with the monster. And they have this kind of like almost like an annoying sibling relationship. Yeah. And there's this um, like one of the first moments the monster appears in the film. There's kind of this build to what usually is this this shock moment based on a lot of the things. And then it kind of goes into that that sibling relationship that you, you mentioned. And it's just very engrossing um, kind of right off the bat. Um, so it's something that definitely adds like this this aspect to it that is, is just this unique spin on it. Um, I'd, I'd be a little remiss if I didn't get a little technical about the monster production specifically. Um, you know, it's very, you're very adept at showing us exactly the amount of the monster we need to see to, to kind of be engaged with the film. How did you decide the manifestation look of an emotion or of a trauma? And then on top of that, tell us about what went into making the monster both on set and in post. So I suppose we'll start with the kind of the design, I guess. And that the idea for that was that I suppose the size was a really important thing. We wanted it to be like towering over him. Um, and we liked the idea of that like when it came into a room to like see him or that sort of thing, it would like have to hunch down and sort of climb through because it doesn't really fit inside the building. Um, I guess just because that gives it that kind of like... It's like it's just engulfing him, that sort of feeling. Um, but yeah, we made it. It's 
actually an actor. It was a really good actor called Norveras Gisleris, um, who was a guy at our university. Um, and yeah, he's on he's on stilts. And then our art director Rachel got this found this really cool kind of cloak that we had to kind of customize quite a bit to make a lot bigger. And then it was just like different pieces here and there that we acquired to put together the final look. And there's only a really small amount of it was in post. There was just bits when you can kind of see up the sleeve or that kind of thing that we had to kind of fill in. But other than that, it's pretty much an entirely practical monster, I guess. It, it's really effective. And that's really that's really interesting that, that you went that route with like the stilts and the cloak. It, it works. Mm. It works. And it, it's very awesome. So um, thank you. Uh, going into kind of Aaron, you know, the character of Aaron in, in this short. To, to me, Aaron seems isolated you know his 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 parents have extended their holiday without him um he works late at a at a corner store or convenience shop um and even i think there's a, a scene where he's at a bus stop and he encounters like a couple that has that community that human connection with someone else um but it's it's not like aaron doesn't have the opportunity to make connections he's, he's invited to a party um and he runs into a friend in the store can, can you talk a little about Aaron's isolation and and the decisions you make to show that and you know the the 10 minutes we have with this character uh yeah yeah I suppose um his isolation is almost it is like a bit like you say it's self-inflicted it's not like people don't want to be with him um and I kind of guess that's just comes from this idea of the fact that in his position he no one else knows about what's happened to him but he knows and it's just like the risk almost of it coming up is too, like the fear of that is just like paralyzing to him, I guess. So because essentially in the film, if it comes up, the monster gets aggravated kind of, which is what, you know, what we see on screen. Um, so yeah, it's just that kind of, I guess for him in his scenario, that risk outweighs going out and socializing that kind of thing. And um, I suppose it's one of those things where perhaps if you could see his like, his full lifespan, you can see at the start, it's more like he can cope with it. But at this point, he's just totally isolated and like just doesn't even ever want to go out. So yeah, that was kind of where that came from. Yeah, and, and it really works because there's kind of this um, journey that Aaron goes on. Um, towards the end, you know, he kind of reaches a point where he has to make a decision or, you know, maybe he's been continuing to make that decision, but maybe that changes. Um, in a little bit. And so I think the isolation was a great way to kind of encapsulate that. And also, like you were saying earlier, um, kind of have that ever looming, towering figure mm. of the manifestation behind him. Um, you know, it's just very effective. Um, wh- what, you know, are, are a lot of f- filmmakers uh, kind of like to talk about like the seed of the idea for for this short can you talk a little bit about you know where this might have come from and and on the flip side of that if it changed at all throughout the process in terms of the story or in terms of what you were you were trying to do um yeah so the basically the the inspiration for it came from i also was a survivor of sexual abuse um so that was like just a it's kind of semi-autobiographic um and it was when this was like my first attempt at trying to screenwrite. So it was kind of just when you read about it or like learn about it, everyone always says, you know, you've got to try and write from something that you know about experience. And I just thought this would be good, like catharsis in a way to try and do this. It was kind of make work about it, you know, 
And yeah, I guess it did evolve quite a lot from that because it started off literally just about, I want to just make a story about someone who is kind of living with something that no one else knows about. And then it, yeah, just this idea of always living with something that people don't know about became like a physical, let's make that something that they can see and are always aware of. Um, and then, yeah, like I said, the catharsis of it was just over time. The, like, the writing was quite scary because it was just that it just felt like a really big deal to kind of actually put it into paper and then like show it to people and try and like sort of sell them on the idea. Um but once it was actually written and the first finished, like full draft was finished, it just was kind of like that fear was gone. And it just kind of became like a total separate piece. And it was kind of like, I just got it out and it felt really good. Um, and I guess just making a film about the thing that used to be the scariest thing to you is just like the best sort of like two fingers up to it in a way. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, it, it definitely does, you know taking that experiencing experience and like making it into a version of art, even if it is, it does become something separate um, and perhaps to serve as a catharsis for people or maybe to yourself. That's, that seems really worthwhile. So, so thank you. And, and we're just so grace, grateful on our end to be playing this at, at Nifty. Um, uh, thank you. But by Thanks now, of course, of course. Um, by now, I, I'm sure you've seen the film a large number of times in post, you know, imagining it in your head you know uh maybe watching it after the fact um do you have a different experience watching it now than when you first watched it completed do you notice anything new about it or or anything like that or is it relatively the same yeah no it's it's really hard to watch now i just like if i watch it i just squirm the whole way through i think just because i don't know i think you just everyone always says this when they make a film is that like when you perhaps now, because when we actually finished it, it was back in May. So you just feel like you've progressed since then. So watching it, I don't know, it just doesn't feel like the most reflective of where you are in like making films. Um, so there's just loads of stuff that I'd like to do differently if I was to do it again. But I think that's, it's a good thing. It shows it's like I've learned since the, since the first one. Um, but I suppose when we first finished it, we actually had to make it five minutes for our, like our, graduation film and then initially there was quite disappointed with that just because I think it just was you're packing too much into five minutes then and, and it was kind of rushing to each point um so when we did a recut uh it just when we stretched it out it just felt like it could breathe and it just that was kind of a real like a bit of a eureka moment because we thought it wasn't going to be what we'd hoped and then suddenly it just like it clicked and it was like oh this is so good and we we're really pleased with it then I guess yeah, I mean, that's crazy that you had to like shorten it to five or were considering it. And I'm glad you allowed, you, you found that cut to make it breathe. Um, I, w- I was talking with one of our other programmers yesterday because when we're recording this, this screened last night live um, in, in the block um, on, on West Coast Ameri- uh, US time. Um, yeah. and, and they were remarking kind of like the moment, the crux of the film, when it comes to a head, when there's that moment where Aaron's on the phone, um, and everything, I don't want to give anything away, but, uh, that itself is almost a minute long. So to have, have only four minutes besides that crux of a moment, I can definitely see how it would have been a little rushed. And yeah. I, and I'm glad, I'm glad that we got that 10 minute cut. Um, no, definitely. Um, it, 
just yeah serve the story better being longer yeah we've kind of touched on this a little bit but like what do you hope an audience member takes away from from coming to light after they watch it I suppose what would be the best thing is someone else in that situation who didn't feel like they could talk if they could now feel that strength to go and speak up about you know what they're going through but also I suppose for other people it can maybe perhaps open your eyes to like you think you can really know someone or think you know what their their life's like um when in actual fact it's just like anything could be going on to any of us and you know something good to consider I think generally (laughs) yeah you really don't know yeah Uh, um what's what's next um final question about coming to light specifically um what's next for you in coming to light is it is it still on the festival circuit is it still making its rounds i know you you mentioned it it wrapped kind of completed in may um so what's going on with it um yeah so it's still got a couple more festivals to come i believe We're, we're we're there's still quite a few to hit back from actually but um yeah, so this weekend as well, actually parallel to this, it's going on, um, it's screening at the Nightmares Film Festival, which is like a horror genre festival, which is quite cool. Um, and then another one in the UK in November. And then I guess it will be the online release, which is I'm actually probably most excited for, because I think that's, you know, the really good bit. And you can just get it out to, I suppose, anyone, which would be really nice. And just to get like, obviously it's good to hear like festival responses and that kind of thing. But I think people who aren't in the kind of filmmaking world or into that kind of thing, it's almost sometimes more interesting to hear what they think. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, Kind of pivoting away from coming to light specifically and and pivoting to you as an individual filmmaker. um, I'm wondering if you could walk us through kind of the early stages of your filmmaking journey, how you got to this point. Um, I think I was reading somewhere that that fiction filmmaking wasn't, wasn't always your forte. Yeah. So um, I was always into films, but never really considered working in in it until I got, I don't know, I was like 17, 18 and then decided to go to film school but originally thought about maybe doing like production design or like working in art direction or like set building, that kind of thing was what really interested me. Um, and then, yeah, we made, we had a couple of like documentary projects at uni, which I got really into um, and had my first go at directing doing that and just kind of enjoyed that as a whole. Uh, so I was quite committed to like, or dead set on doing something like factual filmmaking and then when we got into our last year at uni, I sort of was considering thinking, I, you know, are you ever going to give it a go? Now's the time. So I just had to go at writing. And yeah. yeah, it was relatively like well received. So just, yeah, enjoyed it. What is some, I mean, I'm sure there's a ton of differences between, you know, directing a, a documentary and, and going the more fictionalized route. Um, can, can you talk about some of those? And then, you know, moving forward, uh, what, you might trend towards if if you know between the two if you'll go back and forth or if you'll lean to- towards one side or the other with fictional filmmaking there's so much that well I suppose you can just decide on everything and it's just like and that can be daunting I think but it's you have no you know you, you are in total control of what is on the screen and you plan every shot and that kind of thing. Obviously, obviously there's like space for improv, but 
generally you just that's it the, the build up to it you're really thinking about everything and you're considering all the different things the sound design and all that and then with documentary you have a bit of a plan and you think you know what you're going to make and that kind of thing and then you go and shoot your subject or whatever it is you want to do and it just can go off in like any direction so they are really different in that sense and you have to be a bit more versatile I suppose and like when it gets to the edit in the documentary that's when you really find out I think what your film is going to be about um but generally for the like next I want to just focus on fiction because I just find that much more what I'm enjoying at the minute um but I've still got things that I would love to do documentaries about and that kind of thing or like certain subjects that I think it would be really interesting to film yeah a bit of both hopefully I, I mean that sounds great I'd love I'd love to to see both of those projects or both of those series of, of projects from you um and then maybe I guess you were talking about you know this was kind of your your first hand at writing something um what did you learn about making coming to light that maybe you hadn't had on on projects previously was it was it those decisions those seemingly infinite decisions because you're you have the choice in a fictionalized version of of you know making the world or was it something maybe more production based or post based I don't know yeah I think I suppose one of the things I learned most about was just like um be confident and just try and act a bit more instinctual I think because there definitely becomes a point where you can overthink all these decisions, all these choices, and you can like just keep going and saying, oh, well, we could try this out, or what about this, or maybe this could mean this, and that kind of thing, and you get kind of a bit carried away with it. And one of the best bits of advice I got when we were making it was to kind of like when you, obviously we wrote the script, but if you try and like analyse it separately as if you hadn't written it, like really hold on to the first images you get in your brain as you read it, just like, have a notepad next to you and read everything that you just see as it's going on in your head just like capture those bits and try and hold on to them because they're the most more like I guess like the most raw ideas out of the whole thing and then the rest is like it kind of evolves from those original ideas so that's I suppose a really good bit of advice that we got from it. I mean, that sounds, that sounds very helpful. That sounds like a really cool idea, yeah. kind of separating it and then taking that raw, uh, I don't know, output from your brain and seeing if you can incorporate it into yeah. the final thing. Um, can you talk a little bit about like influences, either film influences, uh, filmmaking influences, or maybe not, maybe just art influences or other influences, maybe for, for docs, maybe for fiction, anything in between, and maybe for coming to light in particular? Um, yeah, I suppose for influences it was hard because there was no like I know quite often when like filmmakers talk about their films they have like three or four like films that really were like their key influence for it. For us it was just kind of a mishmash of different things. Um funnily enough, afterwards it got some other people have likened it to The Babadook and I've watched it since and actually really wish I'd watched that before because I think that would have been a really useful reference. Um, but in general, I think the one of the first films that really got me into the idea of like filmmaking was La Haine. Um mm -hmm. We were studying it at school and I just got really obsessed with it. Um, and then at the same time as making Coming to Light, I was writing my dissertation on um, Andrei Tarkovsky, which is obviously quite different but um in terms of like some of the 
the framing and the setup of the scene that had definitely had a big influence. And then I suppose as other kind of filmmakers, it was really different, but I was really enjoying um, Joanna Hogg. Mm-hmm. It was like some, just after the souvenir had come out when we just started like the pre-production. Um, and I just like that kind of how she just writes about like really realistic things that happen to her. Although when you look at the two, they don't seem at all similar. But I think that's just someone that I use as a good reference point. Yeah, she makes great stuff. Um, that That's wonderful. In terms of um, where are, are you headed next? Like, do you have anything in uh, that you're working on currently? Um, you know, I know... Uh, that you know the this year and this pandemic has kind of maybe put a damper on creativity a little bit um at least for a lot of our our, our u.s filmmakers i don't know how it is for you but what what are you working on um so yeah hopefully if pandemic allows um we'll be shooting my next short that i've written this next weekend coming up if all goes to plan fingers crossed so that's exciting um yeah, and that's called First Timers, and it's quite different. It was because I'd finished uni and moved back home, so I kind of wanted to write something like that reminded me and like set back and where I'm from. So it's back in like in a small rural town, basically where I grew up. Uh, about three fourteen-year-olds who set off to buy their first bag of weed, um, as a sort of, I guess it's like their forcing their way into adulthood and along the way they have different sort of um different issues and stuff that they fall out about and it's like yeah and it goes from there kind of (laughs) yeah well i mean best best of luck with with the shooting my fingers are crossed for for next week i'm glad we we caught you right before you went into (laughs) kind of full-fledged uh yeah shooting on that um and you know we'll keep an eye out for it um, hopefully when, awesome. it, when it's completed um, for 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 the people listening you know where can people follow you and find more of your work either online or maybe somewhere else um, yeah I guess the best would be on my Instagram that would, which is just at Hector Bell H-E-C-T-O-R um, and yeah that's where I share most of the stuff There's the, you can follow links on there to like music videos and other projects I've been doing and yeah that'd be awesome well, I, I want to thank you again for, for taking the time today uh, to sit down with us and also to just in general for uh, on behalf of the whole Nifty programming team. Um, we're very grateful again to, to have Coming to Light be included in this year's festival and to share it. Um, and, and thank you for all the, the advice and wise words you've, you've given us in, in this talk. <laughs> no, thank you. It was really fun. I enjoyed it. Great, great. Um, and, and thanks to everyone at home for listening. Um, for more information on Nifty 2020, the talented youth, and uh, more emerging filmmakers, check us out on nifty.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at NFFTY or on Instagram at Nifty Film. Um, for more podcasts from Party Fish Media, search Party Fish Media wherever you listen to podcasts or follow us on social media at Party Fish Media. Uh, see you next time. Fish media.
Party Fish Media acknowledges that it operates and records on indigenous Duwamish and Puget Sound Coast Salish land that is still home to the Duwamish tribe. This land is stolen in violation of the Point Elliot Treaty of 1855. We are committed to uplifting the name of these lands and community members from these nations who reside alongside us. For more information on this land, its people, or ways you can help, visit duwamishtribe.org or realrentduwamish.org.